Welcome back to the Policy Viz Podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. On this week's episode of the show, I chat with Cedric Shera, who is, well, he's awesome at R. Let me just put it that way. He's awesome at R. He's awesome at ggplot. He's awesome at sharing how he creates his data visualizations. And so we talk about Cedric's early use of R. He started with base R. So if you don't know base R, well, he's moved past it. We've talked about his early work in R. We've talked about how he approaches sharing his work, uh, how he approaches making things in R, and what he sees going forward. What are the technologies? What are the areas of R? Think Markdown, think Notebooks. Uh, what does the future of R look like for those of us who are working in the field of data visualization? Speaking of working in the field of data visualization, I am working every other week to bring you this podcast. So if you would like to support the show, please consider heading over to my Patreon page where for just a couple of bucks a month, like a cup of coffee. Well, a cup of coffee is a little bit more than a couple of bucks a month these days. But if you would like to support the show, with just a few bucks a month, head over to my Patreon page uh, where you can get some goodies and you can help support the show to support all the sound editing and transcription and web support that's needed to bring the show to you. Or if you'd rather just use a one-time payment, you can head over to my PayPal account. But more generally, feel free and please do share the show with your friends, your families, your colleagues, your networks, whoever you think might benefit from learning more about data and data visualization. All right, having said all that, let me bring you my conversation with Cedric Shearer. Hey, Cedric, how are you? Welcome to the podcast. How are things? Hi, John. Everything fine here. How are yeah. you? I mean, you know, hanging in there. It's a sunny but cold day here in Virginia, so it's it's all good. Um, you're in you're in where again? I'm in Berlin, Germany. Berlin. And it's already dark here now. It's getting late. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I got to get you before bedtime. So thanks for coming on. I'm excited to talk about your work on R. We've got, I think, a lot of things to kind of talk about. I want to get your story of like how you got into R, maybe some of your other tools that you use. Maybe we could talk about like, did you use tools before you got into R? And then as we talk about a little bit more, um, maybe some of the other tools that you use in and around R. I know a lot of people like they'll make something in R, they'll pipe it out as like a PDF and they'll bring it into Illustrator to clean it up. And I'm, I'm curious about your, your process on that. So maybe we could just start with, how did you get to this point of like being like, I don't know, I kind of like now I'm like viewing you as like the date of his guy in R, which I'm sure there are other people out there who are mad at me about saying that, but like, <laughs> um, you know, what's your sort of R journey to get to, the, to where you are now? Yeah, it's a pretty long journey. Good questions. <laughs> Maybe kind of like, so I'm not a graphics person for everyone who doesn't know me. So I'm an ecologist by training um, or biologist first. So um, when I started, looking for my courses, I was thinking about graphics design or biology. And I thought like, okay, biology will give me jobs. Graphics design will not. So I ended up doing biology. <laughs> yeah, fun story now. Right. Um, so, I mean, I still have a biologist job, so that's fine. Um, yeah, so yeah, I already had a passion kind of for, for design, not so much for coding actually. And then it was the first contact with R was already in my first bachelor semester, 2008 already, mm -hmm. but really like just clicking, running code for statistical analysis, base plots. Um, so yeah, R is very common or became very common around that time for ecologists and biologists to use for analysis. So this was more like really the geeky old R times. Yeah, like base R. Just this is ba we're talking fun. base yeah. R times. Yeah, like yeah, linear yeah. models all time. Right and base R graphics and people were using it for statistics, mostly 
statistics. So nowadays R is very different. You can do all kinds of things. Like right. you already crossed it, covered it. It's kind of like plots, tables, web pages. You can write books. You can do really fancy things with it nowadays. Back then it was kind of like the, yeah, the tool to use to do statistics in a proper way. So I also learned about SPSS and Excel. So this was mm -hmm. basically after that first semester, I quickly switched back because yeah, I didn't learn much in R and most people yeah. were not using R with my, in my group. So we were just using Excel mm -hmm. and did really like the Excel graphs. And then during my bachelor, I was still using Excel. And then during the master, it was more on R courses. Then it became an ecology course uh, studies and during the, in the ecology um, field, there, there's mainly the people driving also many of the R packages and R developments. Mm -hmm. And then I started my master's and I got into it more and more. And then towards the end of my master, beginning of my PhD, I found out about tidyverse and ggplot too. Okay. So, and then it was really, I fell in love. And during my PhD, I just realized that I spent much more time on designing than on writing. Yeah. So actually, yeah, I talked to too many people. Many people are like, yeah, you're so perfectionist about so many details. You need to drop it if, if you want to be a successful scientist. You can't spend <laughs> three days on the graphic. And I was like, I don't want to drop it. I know I'm a perfectionist, but I want to keep yeah. that and make it a good thing and not a bad thing. So right. yeah, so kind of like morphed after my PhD, I moved into some more design person. So I'm currently doing both things, being an academic, but also being a freelance yeah, designer or consultant, or I mean, there's so many words right. for creative yeah. people. So when was that, that you like, that was like right when Hadley had sort of come up with Tidyverse and ggplot2. So that was like right at the very beginning. Uh, I can't really recall. I think ggplot2 is really common since 2015, maybe. Yeah, something like that. Is yeah, correct? 14, 2014, 15. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I should know, actually. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, yeah, it was, I think, 2016, end of 2016, so maybe a bit late. So I mm -hmm. wasn't really following the packages. So I met someone and he was completely coding in R, everything. He had his Hugo page and mm -hmm. blog, blog posts. And I was just looking at it and was like, oh, man. I just know base R. I right, can't right. compete. And then we really became friends and we are doing that together. And right. so he pushed me. And yeah, what I mean, the, the thing why I was so interested about ggplot actually, I wanted to do a small multiple, um, so trellis plot, and which is called facets in ggplot. And it's so yeah. easy to do. And with yeah. base R, for everyone who knows base R, it was so hard to remove all the labelings and putting it together in the right format. And right. yeah, that's actually one of the best showcases for ggplot, I think, the small multiples. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. I mean, whenever I want to do small multiples, I'm going I'm going to R to do it because it's like <laughs> it's like that one it's like one extra line of code. Yeah. Um. So, which kind of brings me to a related question. So, like, is there something about? I mean, I know why I enjoy, and I'm I mean, intro baby R coder. But like, is there something particular about R? Because it sounds like you've coded in, in a couple of other languages too. Is there something about R? in particular ggplot is it the philosophy of it that you like is it just the ease of use like what is it about r versus any other language that like really attracted you to using that particular tool yeah so even though i'm programming every day i don't see myself really like a programming person like it programming person i'm yeah. not really really a computer nerd i don't know much about hardware i don't know much about 
bash line, command line right, stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was really also a hard start, but at some point, yeah, I also did a lot of my research or I do a lot of my research just on computational data. So simulation data. So I, I also picked up a few other programming language, but most of them not for visualization. So mm -hmm. a bit of Python, but this is really like, yeah, it's R what we are using. So everyone was using R, so there was basically no choice or I didn't even think about using something else. Mm -hmm. And I was very happy actually. So I learned a bit of C++ actually, um, which I found super complicated for me as a non-IT person and dealing with compilers and true <laughs> bugging. And I had to build my own functions to just get simple jobs done, which was really annoying me. Yeah. And I think with R is the perfect combination. I mean, that, that's why many true programmers, I call them now, don't like R maybe mm. because it's something in between it's easier yeah to, to, to read for non-programmers i would say and easier right. to learn maybe than some of the other programming languages yeah yeah i think that's i think that's right i mean yeah it's definitely like there's stuff going on in the hardware it's it's back there but uh, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna worry about it yeah um, i think for statistics let me add something yeah. um for statistics i think it's yeah. the it's the programming language at least was was back then to do statistics in a reproducible coding way so right. i think also, I'm not sure about the state of Python, but C++, you don't do statistics. Well, at least no, right. I've rarely seen someone using C++ yeah, for statistics. Right, right. I mean, and if you are in like a language, I mean, I, I tried to learn C++ back in college and, you know, uh, that's too long ago. But like in Fortran, for example, like yeah. if you want to do statistics, you need to code the entire thing. Like it's not like you, you know. It's not like you load a package or type regression YX and it runs a regression. Like you need to actually invert the matrix and, and do the whole thing, which yeah. is valuable as a learning process. <laughs> I remember like coding in MATLAB as a statistics class at one point, because you had to invert the matrix and like, that's super useful to understand statistics, but like on a day-to-day, -day, like doing a job is like, I just want to get this done. I need to move yes. on. Right. Yeah. Yes. Um, so what does your like workflow look like? Is it simply like just bring the data set into R, do everything in R, export the visualization as a PNG JPEG and you're, and you're done? Or are there, do you have like a whole bunch of things sort of surrounding your, your workflow? Yeah, it evolved a bit. So during my PhD, I was mostly programming in R. So I wasn't really touching any other tools. Um, yeah. First of all, because it should be reproducible. Um, so really clicking the code and then the image is returned. So now for my design work, it changed a bit. So I think for for, these true charts, like academic, scientific figures and some maps and stuff, you really can go the whole route in, in R and ggplot. You could also do it for more complex things. I mean, we have shown that um, with Tidy Tuesday, you also had Tom, Thomas Mock um, mm -hmm. in your podcast. So people maybe know about Tidy Tuesday. So this is where I really started getting crazy with ggplot, kind of like really tricksing the system, like finding ways to manipulate the code to get whatever I want. Mm -hmm. um, but it can be tedious at some point. So um, I still do most of the work in R. So it really mm -hmm. depends also on the client or on the use case, what we right. what we have as a final product. So the really nice thing about R still is that it's yeah, it's reproducible. So if you have something, some project where the data is likely to get updated, I definitely use R. If I have a client who wants to produce thousands, hundreds or thousands of plots every day, every week with kind of like updating data, then we need to find a clever algorithm to place the labels nicely. And luckily there are also many packages for that. And then yeah. um, we do it definitely in R. I also like the notebooks, like the reporting style that you can directly include it. But if, if it's really about more artsy, more 
complex data visualizations. So I don't really bother around if I have a one static graphic and I need to place some annotations. I do mm -hmm. it usually in Figma because I don't have really other tools I know. So Figma yeah. was now what I started with. Um, so it's really, I'm not coming from the design world, so I'm just learning the, what all yeah. the designers say, it's simple. So I think it's not so simple for me because I, I like need to find the point where I stop in R and then move on. Right, right. And yeah, usually I use vector graphics anyway. Um, so yeah, so I guess 90 to 100%. So it's not really like I've seen Nadi using R and others mm -hmm. who, and they really kind of like spent maybe 5%, 10% their time in R and then they move on. And for right. me, it's def definitely it's much more. So the final thing, it's really like already the final colors or so almost the final colors and yeah. all the kind of things. Yeah. So you mentioned um, the notebooks. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I would suspect that many R users are familiar with ggplot. They're familiar with R markdown. Um, but I'm curious about like how you think of notebooks and sort of maybe also your view of like, what does the future of R look like? And maybe that's a broader question, the future of, of coding. <laughs> yeah. Can you sort of walk me through a little bit, like when, how you use notebooks in R um, and in particular, like your particular, your specific process, especially when you're working with a client and maybe you're sharing things back and forth. Yes, yes. So, um, yeah, so the notebooks in R also work with R Markdown. I mean, it's basically R Markdown reports. Um, right. And the nice thing about it is that you really can use the R Markdown language or the Markdown language to write text surrounding it. And you can also, I mean, there are, there are pretty neat themings and styles to create your reports. You can also write your own CSS and customize it as much as you want. So right. you can also scripted, but I always end up using um, a Markdown notebook usually. And yeah, I mean, it really depends on what you want to do. So even if I'm just drafting one figure for some challenge or some personal project, I'm using these because it just became my workflow. I also like that I have kind of like a HTML or you could also um, knit it or render to a PDF, but I really also like that I have like a, a copy of my code. So if yeah. the code gets lost, I still have this HTML <laughs> template or right, yeah. <laughs> also you can add the session info to, to the end. So I know which package versions were used and so on, which is a bit more difficult. If you do it for an R script, for example, yeah. then you might want to use some images or so, but it's, right. it's not super easy then to really years later to come back to the same setup, but at least I would have the option to kind of like get back to a package version, which made it possible. Um, and I mean, some people write full scientific publications in R. Um, yeah. I tried it, <laughs> not really got lucky with it, but also because, <laughs> I mean, you need the co-authors on board um, or some yeah. people then kind of like go to Word and go back to R, but this kind of like got a bit fuzzy. And also it depends really on data. If you have very big data sets, I still find it a bit of pain if you need to knit and it takes a long, long yeah, time. Yeah, it takes a lot of run, yeah. Um, right. But yeah, I think it's it's pretty neat. And you ask for about clients, so it's the same basically. So you can hide the code and just show the report. You can also have buttons where you can show the code if you want to. So that's mostly my setup. So not showing the code on um, on default. And then if people want to have a look, they can do it if the client knows a bit about R. Um, but these are very simple to to share. Yeah, that's the that's the nice thing. What is your sense? You may not know the answer to this, but what is your sense of people who are writing in R scripts versus people who are writing in Markdown? Do you know like what the split is? Or maybe oh. maybe a better question is like with the folks that you work with, like what's the split um, of people using those two approaches? I think that or 
That's a bit hard to estimate for me. So I, yeah. I basically have two groups. So the scientists are, are now those are the, that I know mostly using the notebooks. Yeah. Um, for kind of like in the art community on Twitter and so I see both, but also mostly mostly a markdown, which might be because I'm a tidyverse fan. So right, um, right, sure. I mean, you may know that there's kind of like this people who use the tidyverse and people who don't use it. And <laughs> I think people who, who use the tidyverse are also more likely to to use our studio and everything our yeah. studio provides. Um, um, so I think. Even though non-tidyverse user might use the R Studio, they might not use our Markdown. Just like a subjective feeling, maybe. Right. So I, I'm kind of like I like what our studio is doing. I like um, these ideas of having notebooks, so I definitely using it. And right. yeah, I'm also suggesting it to others. So when we have new PhD students starting, I mean, also the younger generations, they anyway learn that now. Yeah. I think it's more about the older ones who just right. know their old routines and they don't. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it kind of makes sense. I mean, if it's from a collaborative position, that makes sense that maybe scientists are more likely to use the notebooks because they are multi-person teams. And maybe it's a little bit easier to collaborate as opposed to like sharing a script back and forth. Even if you're like doing a Git version control, maybe the notebooks are a little bit easier to do that collaboration. Yeah, it's also a collection of your output, right? If kind of in yeah. an academic context, I'm creating also in a client context, I'm creating like, I don't know, 20, 50, 100 plots, explorative right. things, different designs, depending on the current stage. So it's easy also to collect them in one document. You can just scroll through and you yeah. don't have to open it and find the file again. And, yeah. and also in terms of G talking about ggplot2 or about visualization with R, the nice thing about these notebooks or about R markdown is that you have kind of like settings, how high and wide these images should be. Mm -hmm. And then you see it the same way, because if you are an R Studio user, you know that the, the plot window where, where the visualization shows up it's not what you then really see in the end when you save it. So um, that's a way to fix the aspect ratio of the graph. So to, right. to really see how they look when you save them. Right. Um, so I want to uh, shift gears a little bit and talk about your your site, the tutorials on the site, and your book plans. Um, so you've got a ton of R tutorials on your site. And what I've noticed you're doing lately on Twitter is, I think, kind of ingenious is like, you seem to like ask a question, like you ask a question, like what is your biggest challenge of like adding labels in an R plot? And you sort of give people like four or five options. And then you basically like write a blog post about like the best way to do it. So can you tell folks a little bit about the site and about the tutorials and maybe your kind of philosophy of how you figure out what you want to write about and what you want to talk about and like the, the, the challenges you're trying to solve for people? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Big question. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, so about, you know me, I try to go, <laughs> I go for the big things. I, you know, I'm not going to let you off the hook here. Um, yeah. So for, for the one big tutorial I have on my, on my um, homepage, this is really, yeah, this was my learning. And at some point I wanted to share it. So this was based on a tutorial by um, someone called Seth Ross, and he's also producing GGPod tutorials for free. And as mentioned, I found ggplot thanks to the faceting option and I just jumped in and as many of us, we kind of like just copy pasted code from some random pages, mostly Stack Overflow. And at some point I was like, okay, why isn't this working? Typical yeah. problems. And I was like, okay, just give myself one, two days, go, go through the hopeful tutorial and kind of like create my own version out of it. And then I kind of updated it. And I mean, as, as mentioned, I'm a perfectionist, so I wasn't happy about the default look. So I was also <laughs> polishing the plots, which Zeph already provided. 
And at some point I gave it a major update working on it every weekend for a few months. And yeah, now it contains, I don't have the exact number, but I think 120 different GG plots. Wow. Most of wow. them scatter, scatter plots nevertheless, because it's really about like, okay, how do I color the axis text on the X and X axis, but also about a bit about plot types. So there's no mapping yet in there. So there are many, many more things to um, cover. So this is how we ended up or I ended up, yeah, thinking about writing a book and people approached me. Um, so the original idea was really to, this is kind of like a how-to tutorial. So how do I do ABC? Yeah. The idea was to turn that into a book. It now merged a bit with also having a broader context of or how to do graphics design with ggpod 2 kind of mm -hmm. like doing these more complex things with all in R without any post-processing with um, any of the other tools, Illustrator, Inkscape, Figma. Right. Um, maybe also a combination of both, how to work with that, but more like not so much on the technical details, but more about the create creativity when you're working with code as well, because you also need to be creative to achieve with code what you want to having on your, um, yeah, on, on your final plot. So it's not only right. about the creativity in terms of color and chart type and all these kind of things and story. It's also about the creativity. How can I force ggplot to do what I want? Right. Right. So yeah, and about, yeah. no, I, I was just gonna say like, so how do you think about um, a book? I mean, my, my always concern about writing like tools books is like the tools change. So especially now they just change so quickly and like packages are always being updated. And like today, what you might have to sort of make a workaround for tomorrow, there'll be a package where it'll just be like, Hey, load this package and, and you're good to go. How do you think about that? As you, as you work through the book, is it just, this is just where we are right now and you know follow along with like the website or this other thing and you know you'll see some updates like how do you how do you think about that yeah definitely something we we discussed a lot so yeah. i'm relying on a lot of extension packages so but only those i need so let's maybe first kind of like put on the philosophy of how, how i use extension packages so I, for example i'm not using a package which allows me to do a dumbbell chart or a lollipop chart because i can uh, do that yeah. with ggplot2 but for example if it's kind of like allowing me to create a fancy zenke bump chart there's a package out there i will definitely use it because i don't want to code it on my own okay. um, so it really depends what, what you mentioned also about matlab for example so if it's kind of like doable for me and i now have quite some ggplot experience so i know how to code many of these things without the other packages so i'm trying to replace them but there are definitely some packages which are, they are there to be used. Right. Some of them are not even really officially hosted on this thing called yeah, CRAN right. uh, or the CRAN, however you pronounce it, yes. Um, There's another and, good question. We'll see We'll see what the split is on that one, CRAN versus CRAN. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I learned it's officially CRAN, but- Oh, okay. Uh, I've always called but, it CRAN. So but most people, most people call it CRAN, so I'm always saying both, ending up saying both, which is kind of like plain stupid because I'm right. saying like, <laughs> I'm saying the correct name. No one understands me. And then I'm saying the wrong name. And then right. everyone is confused. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just showing how nerdy yeah. I am. I <laughs> right. Um, what's very uh, funny? Yeah. We were talking about, about the packages, packages versus, in the, in the, versus, yeah. the books. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so something we definitely discussed. And I kind of like made a list which packages I definitely need. And yeah. We will have an online version. It will be on host on GitHub. So I will kind of like really try to keep it up to date. Um, that's right. another thing just beside the book. Also, if you kind of like working with ggplot or in any programming language, things change so fast. So you really need to kind of like, yeah, be up to date. And um, I kind of like, it's super interesting that to see every few days, something new and to find right. something new. But yeah. at the same time, it can be also very stressing. So I'm getting older. So I kind of like thinking about <laughs> what happens when, when I don't want to scroll through Twitter every right. day, find right. new packages. 
Right. Um, no, but it's a, it's a, it's a very smart way to go about it. Right. Because then it doesn't matter. It's not just like, Oh, I know how to make a, a I, the reader, I know how to make a dot plot now because I follow Cedric's like step-by-step. Step. I don't need any other packages. I can do it, but I'm sure just learning that helps me do a bunch of other things that I don't yeah. also need packages for. Yeah. It's more this idea. Like, um, like, I mean, I get many questions. I find it very difficult to build a workshop on that, but I often get questions like, okay, how do you come up with this exact idea? So from the design perspective, I mean, you maybe also get these questions. Yeah. And then, I mean, of course there are inspirations, but also some things you've just learned and you cannot even maybe say what exactly it is that you see yeah. things differently than others. Right. Especially when it comes to colors and font choice sometimes as well, but colors are super hard, I think. Maybe Lisa helps us now to kind of just say like, <laughs> buy her book and you will right. know. And you're all, and you're all set. But in yeah. general, yeah, but also with the coding. So I think as mentioned, I'm not a super coder, so I'm not writing many new functions. So I'm really trying to trick the system. Just today, I was super happy about some neat trick I did. I needed to have two colors, but I already had the fill and the other color um, reserved for something else. And I used kind of like transparency on, as a third level. And these things make me just happy and more, <laughs> more sharing, more sharing. Yeah. And this after, I don't know, after six years now into GGPlay, I still kind of like every few days, I find something new or a new right. trick or something. Yeah. So it's more yeah. a collection of kind of like these approaches. How can you approach these things and how could you maybe come up with something yeah, which is not kind of really in these usual teaching books, things like, okay, the next step is adding a layer. The next thing is adding a coordinate yeah. system. It's more thinking out of the box, maybe. Right. Uh, and going beyond yeah. it. So also, I mean, there are many GGPod books and I also got these questions. I mean, I proposed the book and then also got feedback, something like, yeah, but there's already the cookbook, for example, and it will yeah. not be like, okay, how do I build a box plot with um, some jitter and a label with the sample size? It will be more like, okay, yeah the way I think ggplot, let's put it like this. Yeah, yeah, more of the philosophy. Yeah, maybe. Like maybe. a cookbook, yeah. Um, well, it sounds great. Um, I will look forward to it. Um, we'll see if I can find <laughs> yeah, give it, like, me some time. Do it. Yeah, I'll give you some time, yeah. Um, so before I let you go, I wanted to back way out um, and ask you whether you think, this is like a philosophical question, whether you, because there's always a conversation about this, but I'm curious <laughs> whether you think everyone should learn to code. No, definitely not. Um, right. <laughs> I mean, everyone should anyway, should. I, I, I don't like these kind of like hard, hard rules or hard, <laughs> like yes, no decisions. <laughs> right, right so yeah. Should, should anyway, so everyone may benefit from coding, but I also don't think everyone would, but um, let's let's focus on our on our kind of like bubbles we have, like the design bubbles or the analysts. And I think designers could really learn a lot or kind of like use it a lot. And I mean, we see it with GGPod now, also with D3 and all these other uh, libraries we see now emerging or some Python, there are some interesting ones. Um, I think there's a benefit. I mean, I heard about people who really kind of like, yeah, type in their numbers in their design tool and then they if they need to update it they just type it again right um, so i think of automating some of these things and yeah i'm coming from the complete coding perspective so i think yeah. at some point i'm missing like what can i do outside of coding so because i feel always challenged to do it in code with code right at the same side yeah i mean you do what you feel comfortable with but i think also many many things can be more efficient and i think mm -hmm. martin martin lambrecht mentioned it to me in the very beginning like why are you doing everything with ggplot 2 um, yeah, for the Tidy Tuesday challenges, for example, this is kind of like the rule, right? There are also people not doing everything in GGBot, but for me, it was kind of like 
yeah, for sure, I code right. everything in GeForce 2. That's that's the task. So, right, that's, but sometimes that's I was sitting yeah. in the night just three hours to place my labels based on coordinates, <laughs> which is then at some point so I got really tired about that, for example. So I still do it, but right. if I see someone doing these crazy kind of like flyzerbeit <laughs> in German, like work where you just need to pay lots of time to kind of be perfectionist about it. Um, yeah, so um, I think a combination is good, but I think yeah. coding, I mean, in a world full of, Kind of like being digital and full of computers and smartphones, I think it's anyway a good idea to maybe deal with these uh, yeah things that are around us anyway. Right. And then in terms of efficiency, I think, and in terms also of honesty. I mean, if I type in my numbers into some some design tool, it's pretty hard to check. It's not yeah. only pretty hard to update, but it's also pretty hard to check. I mean, right. may, yeah. If it's more really about reporting, I think this is important to be transparent, to be honest about what's the data. And yeah, we see it also that it becomes more and more the standard. I, I think not only in the scientific community, but also in the business and also maybe in the data design world. So yeah. I think that that's definitely a good thing. And also, I mean, I love to share and I mean, I wouldn't be here with all the people doing great stuff for the R community and also the database community helped me a lot. So I love to share, I think, I can share my codes. It's hard to share something like I clicked here, I clicked there, I need to write a blog post, but here I just share my code. Right. People can pick it up. People can get inspired, reuse it. And I learn from them again and they learn from me. And I think it's also a very neat exchange. Yeah. Yeah. I think all that, all that's uh, spot on. Although, although I fear there may be someone listening to this who is all excited about going to your site and learning R and then heard you just say you spent three hours one night trying to get the labels in the right spot. And you're like, nah. No, yeah, the, this, those were many labels. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I, I'm not talking about labels on the X's, just to be clear. I'm talking about right. annotations, you know, right? Right, 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 right. Okay. So hopefully, hopefully people aren't too scared off and they'll give it a shot. Yeah, uh, they should check out your site and then um, and then the book, when it comes out, and there'll be a, a GitHub site and an online uh, yes. compendium, probably. So that, that's all great. Yes. Cedric, thanks so much for yeah. coming on the show. Always yeah, good to chat invitation. with you. And uh, yes. yeah, take care. Thank you. Goodbye, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for tuning into this week's episode of the show. I hope you learned a lot about using R. And I hope you'll check out the episode notes to this show. I put in a lot of the links to Cedric's work. Uh, his website is a treasure trove of free downloadable information and code that you can use to improve how you create visualizations in the R programming language. Okay, until next time, this has been the Policy of This Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. A number of people help bring you the Policy of This Podcast. Music is provided by the NRIs. Audio editing is provided by Ken Skaggs. Design and promotion is created with assistance from Sharon Satsuki Ramirez. And each episode is transcribed by Jenny Transcription Services. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Policy of His podcast is ad-free and supported by listeners. If you'd like to help support the show financially, please visit our PayPal page or our Patreon page at patreon.com slash policyviz.